Hello and welcome to this, the 32nd episode of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. We now have one for each county. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre, Angus Og McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I'm a 15-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And what a week it's been. Um, I had the great privilege and honour of opening in Tom Murphy's The House at the Abbey Theatre last night. And it was a remarkable evening. Um, I mean, we knew we had a great team in place. We knew we had a great script there to work with. Um, but the response last night was uh, was unlike anything I've ever seen before. It was phenomenal. People uh, people were really, really taken with the show. And, and we're really proud of the work we put into it. Um, and uh, and it was just a great night for me. You know, personally, just I got very actually quite emotional at the curtain call there. And, you know, OK, full house and stand innovation and all that kind of stuff. But just to be back on that stage, uh, which is such a historic and an important place, for me, I guess, um, just an absolute privilege to be back up there, working with you know the best in the business at the top of their game. It's uh, it's a real privilege. It's it's such a nice place to be. I'm having an absolute ball on it. Uh, it's it's been a special little time. I'm 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 really delighted with the whole thing. So look, as ever, we are bringing you this podcast absolutely free of charge. We've promised that we'll never ever charge for these interviews, but we are looking for you to put your money back into Irish theatre. The whole ethos of this podcast is to support, promote, and celebrate all that is great about Irish theatre. What is the best way for you to support? To go out there and buy yourself some tickets. I don't care what show it's for, it'd be great if it was the House of the Abbey, but uh, you can go and buy t- tickets for any show. Put your money back into Irish theatre. Support it. There is only so long we can be bitching in pubs about, you know, the lack of funding or, you know, how difficulties in making things happen. Let's put our money where our mouths are. Let's go and do it. So go and buy yourself some tickets. If maybe tickets are a little outside your price range this month or this week, go on over to fundit.ie, one of the crowdsourcing websites, and see if there's a theatre production um, looking for funding over there that you can support. Donations over there start from as low as €5 euro, and there are always great rewards in return for those donations. Um, and of course there are many ways you can support without having to put your hand in your pocket. Go and tell people about this podcast whether that's in person over a cup of coffee or by sharing the link as a Facebook post or retweeting the link on Twitter. The more you uh, share the news about this podcast the more we can share the news about the theatre makers and the shows that are on out there. So it all goes around in a wonderful happy circle. Um, do please subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes and, uh, and leave us a review over there. I know I ask this every week, but it's really important for us. Uh, it does a whole lot to boost us up in the chart positions over there, which again raises our profile and helps us spread the word. Um, of course, if you're out and about, you can stream this podcast on fightnight.ie, and you can also access it on radiomade.ie. Do go back and listen to back to all our other episodes as well, because there's uh, now, God, I guess about seven months of conversations there. Lots of interesting stuff to uh, to sink your teeth into. Um, you can follow us, Rise Productions, on Facebook. We are facebook.com forward slash Rise Productions Ireland, or you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Rise Ireland. And so that brings us to this week's guest. And uh, I got a little bit in, in trouble on uh, Facebook and Twitter for saying that this was the most important conversation of the series to date. And uh, you know what? Hell, I stand by it. Um, this is a special one, gang. Um, it's the legendary Lynn Parker. There's there's no other way of, uh, of talking about it than to say that she is, uh, you know, a legend of Irish theatre uh, and still absolutely on top of her game and going strong. Um, I had the great privilege and honour sitting down and chatting with her about uh, her life and her career to date. Um, such a remarkable lady, such an amazing theatre practitioner um, and someone just absolutely at the heart and soul of what Irish theatre is. Look, I'm not going to waffle on here. We're going to get straight into this. Here it is, the wonderful Lynn Parker. 
the wonderful Lynn Parker. Thank you so much for being to come on the podcast. This is what I've been really looking forward to from day one. Um, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure. So we'll start as we start every week. Where did the spark come from for you? Why a career in theatre? Where, where did that Where did that spark come from? Well, obviously, I had a huge influence in my uncle, Stuart Parker, who was a great writer and is a great writer. And um, he, seeing his play Spoke Song in the 1974 Dublin Theatre Festival when I was very young, um, actually taught me what theatre could do. I'd never seen anything like that before. Just the, the playfulness, the density of ideas, the, the, the sheer skill of it, um, and the delight of meeting actors for the first time um, was really exciting for me. And then uh, a bit later, I went uh, and did a stint with the National Youth Theatre in London as a set designer of all things. And um, I knew then, working backstage, that this is where I wanted to live. This is where I wanted to spend my life. And I went to Trinity um, largely because it had such a huge reputation as a drama society. Players was pretty high level, uh, it still is, um, but uh, I had a huge reputation in those days before such things as drama degrees and diplomas existed. So that was crucial for me. I went and did English, but really I did players. Well, that's an interesting conversation we've had with many people from kind of, you know, people who did drama stuff in UCD and and people who did players that it's such a kind of a fertile learning ground because you get thrown in at the deep end and you're doing everything like I say maybe from set design right the way through to performing or directing what was that time of players like for you? Well it was extremely exciting and very profitable in, in a, a sense of, of being lucky uh, because we were um, a bunch of people like-minded individuals who all had the same uh, commitment uh, to working in the theatre and we behaved a little bit like a small theatre company. And I'm talking about people like, like Declan, obviously, who was my co-founder in Rough Magic, Martin Murphy, Anne Enright, Derek Kelly, Ian Fitzgibbon, Stanley Townsend, Pauline McGlynn. <laughs> I mean, we were, we, we, we were a, a little company and um, after uh, I graduated, um, Declan was a year behind me, we realised we wanted to keep working like this. We didn't want to go into... Uh, nine to five jobs yeah. um, and at that time there was very little on offer for young artists the the Abbey's um, the director training program had just finished the gate was in free fall this is before Michael Colgan took over yeah. and there was really nothing um, uh, because we were deep in recession and you know uh, that's all <laughs> swung back again of course so um, you had to invent your own jobs unless you were going to leave the country you had to make it here and now with nothing. And at that stage you were clear in your mind that directing was the route for you. I mean what was that journey like from early days as you know designing sets through to what was that journey like for you? It was clear to me uh, in Trinity that I that set design and acting and all the rest of it uh, I was a little bit good at but when you joined up all the various skills then it became greater than some of its parts hopefully and in a way directing um, it touched on all of the areas yeah. and that's what really suited me. So talk to me then about, about that transition from the relative safety of, of being in players and working as you say like a company to going okay well now we're in this recession we have to go and create the work for ourselves. What, what were the next steps then? We started a, a summer company in Players and um, very, uh, I suppose, uh, 
opportunistically uh, used players and its structures in order to kind of uh, cash flow uh, in, in the sense of uh, the company didn't have any funding at all yeah. but at least we were able to use the space use the rehearsal for the facilities nobody got paid anything of course but um, we were able to access the uh, tourists coming through front gates because it was in uh, players was in front square at that time and so we sold uh, lunchtime shows that helped pay for the evening shows and that was a, a way a lot of companies started in those days uh, so number three uh, front square was a, a very important little theatre actually um, and after the summer we realised that we wanted to keep going and we asked some of the company if they wanted to carry on with us now this was a real leap in the dark right so four actors uh, Stan Townsend, Helen Montague, Anne Byrne and Arthur Reardon joined with us. Dara Kelly was uh, uh, part of the original company and then I think he got a part in something called Borstal Boy and uh, <laughs> his, his fortunes changed. Um, but we were uh, benefited enormously by the inclusion in that early group of Siobhan Burke who was our producer. Right. Now that makes a huge difference because an awful lot of people come together and they're very sparky and creative but they don't have anyone who's actually doing the sums and working out the Arts Council grant application and all of that and from the first word go we, we had that and, and I think that really made the difference between survival and uh, disappearance. Yeah I mean I think, I think the role of a good solid producer is really underrated a lot of the time it just because it's and you know when things are happening on a smaller scale, it can be hard, and people get caught up, and you're trying to make the whole thing happen. That to trying to deal with all those producer end of things can be really tough to get it done. But to have someone in there dedicated to that and very proficient in that is is vital. It was crucial. It was crucial, and she actually walked away from a fully paid job in UCD in order to do this. So uh, we owe her a great debt. Well, that's certainly a level of dedication, all right. It certainly is. Um, so that initial company over the summer that. Was it Rough Magic even in name, or was it just Rough Magic in... It was Rough the... Magic in name, and we, we actually had named the company before we started producing, right, and okay. uh, all the, the, those conversations were endless, and uh, anyone will tell you the hardest thing about setting anything up was naming it. Yeah. Um, but we used the Rough Magic because uh, the phrase comes from Shakespeare, yeah. uh, from The Tempest, and we thought, well, you know, that is the source, so... Let's go with that. And it seemed to sum up the sort of contrapuntal nature of the company's work, work, that it had a kind of raw energy, but it also had finesse and magic. And that's what we were aiming for anyway. Yeah. I want to talk to you about the journey from those embryonic days and, and starting off in players like that to not doing a full sweep to where we are today. But I can, you know, for many young and emerging companies out there now, the ambition is to ultimately, in 20 odd years time, be rough magic, basically. So can you plot out any kind of a sensible roadmap or, or things that you look back on saying, I'm delighted we did this, this was a really useful step to take, or maybe major mistakes they said, you know, for the love of Jesus, don't let any company ever do this again. Well, I think if people want to end up where we are. I mean, I can't really uh, provide that map because yeah. the conditions are very different now. Um, but you have to be prepared to absolutely dedicate yourself to it for five solid years, and that's we, we weren't paid. You know, I mean, the, 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 there is an assumption now that we are a very comfortable and well-funded company. It wasn't always like that, yeah. and you know, we are very grateful for our funding. But we had to work our way up the ladder very slowly. You know, and that took, you know, ten years before we were anywhere. 
Um, so it's a long haul, and um, I think people underestimate the amount of emotional stamina you need to actually stay the course in this business. Um, but we were lucky, and we had a very strong relationship with Project for the first couple of years, partly because it, it itself didn't have a director for um, a, a short period of time. Um, uh, they were they were looking for a new director and hadn't found one. And the uh, general manager, uh, a man called Sean Dempsey, just invited us in and said, here you are, there's the space. And we did five shows a year there for about wow. three years. Um, again, you know, nobody was being paid anything, but you, you could uh, um, take on work of extraordinary scope um, because the, there wasn't any money involved and you had the run of the, the space. And that was crucial because we learnt so much during that time. It's really interesting. It's interesting to see now, I mean, the parallels again, that project is still absolutely at the heart of, you know, an awful lot of emerging companies coming through, that it is, it's the one space where it seems that there is still kind of access to it, uh, you know, relatively reasonably. And I also that it has, absolutely. and also that it has a dedicated following in the way that some of the smaller fringe, venue, fringe venues, it's harder to get an audience in. In the way that people say, I'll go and see the next show at the gate, or I'll go and see the next show at the Abbey, people also say, I'll go and see the next show at Project, which means, and that must be a huge help for companies. Well, Project is, I think, one of the most important theatres in the country. In yeah. a way, it's the, the National Theatre Studio. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it, because of its open access policy, because it takes such an interest in supporting new work and new artists, and also maintaining relationships with people like us or the corn exchange or uh, whatever you know it's it's it, it, it has the full spectrum of irish work of independent irish work and to me that's where the most exciting ideas are coming all the time yeah well, that's really interesting so as you look back over the, you know the rough magic story to date like is it possible to pick out highlights given that there's been you know so many shows and so many great moments i mean there's so many of the best nights I've had in the theatre in Dublin have been at Rough Magic shows. I mean, I think back to Improbable Frequency or Heavenly Bodies or The Taming of the Shrew. I mean, there's like great, great shows. Are, are you able to pick out highlights or do you love them all equally? Oh, you love every show, but of course there are highlights. And uh, one of the first ones was uh, Digging for Fire was a huge yeah. uh, hit for us. And that was the first time we left these shores and, and went to the UK. And uh, Declan's, this was Declan's second play, and it was just wonderful. It also put its finger on something that was really changing in Irish society. And oddly enough, you know, we're in a very similar position again. Um, and that's a play that we intend to look at over the next while. Um, improbable frequency has to be one of the great highlights yeah. um, and it's a unique show and we sort of feel that nobody else could have done that show it's a, it's a quintessential rough magic show um, doing Pentecost Stuart Parker's play uh, in the mid 90s and taking that to London was also extraordinary but you know you can there are so many and uh, the more you list the more you're leaving out you know yeah, you could say you know um copenhagen was 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 a, a great uh, experience for don carlos um taming of the shrew and they're, they're you know the, the 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 feature of them really is that there's great writing at the heart of them but there's also a wonderful ensemble of, of people not just the actors the whole company is well, very ensemble in its well, nature well that ensemble thing is something we've spoken about to the two rory's to peter daly to a lot of the gang that, that you work with. Tell me why you feel it's that important to have that ensemble of, of people, that, like you say, across the different disciplines that you might be working with and, and what extra that brings to a production. Well, we were always an ensemble because, you know, for, for one thing, the company had two founders, myself and Declan, so it always start, it starts with 
plurality right. and and it takes it from there and we were quite a, a, a mixed bunch the the original company and that's continued and uh, I mean Rough Magic's a bit more than just a company that produces plays um, there's a, a, a an ethic at the heart of our work which is about mutual respect for creative personnel and that's across the board and we feel that our working method is based on humanity on humor and on the collective sensibility um that's that all sounds very earnest but it's <laughs> actually based on the need to have fun while you work because i believe that a relaxed and humorous atmosphere is is one which will produce the best ideas and there's no lack of discipline uh, at the center of that <clears throat> so i really like to work with like-minded people who are skilled who will challenge me and each other uh, and the work is always the biggest challenge of the lot I mean yeah. God knows it's hard enough to do a play it's <laughs> it's you know it's phenomenally difficult but it's got to be enjoyable because the interaction between the the, the group um, has to be of the, of the first order well it is the thing that we've and we've heard it again from a lot of those people that we've spoken to that that it is just great crack in a rough magic rehearsal room and then that it seems that the, the teams that you put together are, are, are people who are just great crack to be around as well as being you know phenomenal theatre artists well they're great crack because they're really bright mm. entertaining committed people um, it wouldn't be fun if it wasn't deadly serious yeah. Um, and some of the best times we've had are doing really serious, big, heavyweight plays like Don Carlos, you know, and, and the themes and the, the situations you're dealing with and in, in the text are so awesome that there has to be a release valve in the rehearsal room. And so, you know, you have the crack, as we say. <laughs> um, talk to me about your interest in, in writing then. You say that, but you talk about good writing being at the heart of, of much of the work that you guys do here. Uh, how much of that traces back to, the, uh, to Stuart Parker and how much of that is just something that's in you? Pretty much everything, as far as I'm concerned, traces back to Stuart Parker. Um, uh, I mean, I, I loved him massively, um, but I also admired his approach, not just to writing, but to life. He had an extraordinarily humane vision, um, and equally based on the need to have fun. Um, and I think that his, his approach uh, is about clarity. Um, is about complicated ideas. Nothing is easy in a Stuart Parker play, and he tries to present them with as much uh, mischief and sense of fun as as possible. But it's always quite clear where he's coming from, and it is the job of the company to present that uh, work with as much clarity as he offers in the writing. Um, and yeah, I mean his his belief in uh, the. The principles of humanity and the uh, scope of art and the ambitions of art is always tempered with this very salty sense of humour, and I think that characterises a lot of the work that we do as well. Um, but we're, we've just done um, Travesties by Tom Stoppard, which is equally, you know, a deeply complex and ambitious piece of writing, but presented with such such panache and sense of, and wit and sense of mischief that. Uh, the the, um, the ideas are absorbed more easily, and it's Stoppard's old um, example, which, which he uses in um, the real thing of the cricket bat. The cricket bat is a piece of wood, 
but any old piece of wood won't behave like a cricket bat. It's made in such a way, it is made with skill, um, so that it sends the ball further. And Stoppard's plays and Stewart's plays send the ball, send the idea further, because they're so skillfully made. So um, I'm a great believer in craftsmanship and the idea that a, a writer will work everything out very diligently, very carefully, and then allow the ideas to fly is one that's very attractive to me. How different an experience is it for you when you come to direct a Stuart Parker play rather than anything else? Is there an added insight? Is there an added affection? What, what's that experience like for you? There has to be some added insight because I knew him so well. Um, however, it's all there in the text and um, I'm very keen for other people to direct Stuart Parker's work. Right. It can't just be me. Um, so there's a, there's a, a rash of young directors coming up who I think would make a fantastic job of them and I'm looking forward to their productions. And talk to me about, about the legacy, particularly in, in the award and stuff. What do you see as, as the legacy of Stuart Parker? Um, the, the, it has to be the plays. I mean, the, the Stuart Parker Trust is a, a wonderful organisation um, and he would have loved uh, so many of the people who have come through it and benefited from it, but his own legacy is his writing. Um, and it's all there. And there are seven magnificent plays and they are, to me, um, incredibly crafted pieces and at least two of them are the best I've come across, the best writing I've come across in this country. Wow. Talk to me then about your approach as a director. What, what do you think makes a good director? I mean, is it a very del delicate kind of balance to, to work in? Does it change project to project? Does it change depending on who you're working with, be they designers or performers or whatever? What, what is it like to negotiate that, that journey through each show? Every time you direct, you're starting from scratch. Um, you don't know how to direct the next play. Um, you have certain um, methods, I suppose, that have worked in the past, but you can't rely on them. You have to challenge them all the time. But the approach is the same if you're doing, for instance, uh, Louis Lovett's wonderful show, The Girl Who Forgot to Sing Badly. It was the first time I'd directed for a children's theatre, and uh, I was a little apprehensive, but you find very quickly that the values you bring to it and the skills have to be the same as those you bring to Don Carlos right. and uh, you know you're telling the story and you're trying to put across the ideas and the, the philosophies in the, in the piece and the, they, those exist in children's theatre every bit as much as in Schiller um, so it's really about getting the idea across and uh, uh, putting the actor in the right place to be as good as they can be which in Louis Lovett's case of course is pretty damn good. <laughs> uh, do you have a particular part of the process that you enjoy most? Do you enjoy reading over scripts before you ever get near a rehearsal room? Do you enjoy engaging with the designers and creating that visual image of what the show is going to be? Do you enjoy being on the floor with the actors working through things? Is there, is there any particular part that, that you enjoy more than others? I love all of it. I mean I do and, and I particularly love the, the tech which most people really? loathe. Yeah. Um, I, I love that bit because you, you've got the whole train set to play with. And I love working with designers and, and uh, uh, just making things work on the spot. I, I, I love, in a way I love limitations. Once you're in the theatre and you know, you've got a deadline and you've got to make it work with the things available to you. You yeah. can't start bringing in elephants at this stage, you know. <laughs> Um, that, that's the bit that I, that I find wonderfully challenging and it's a real turn on creatively. Wow. 
I want to talk a little bit about the work that you are doing here at Rough Magic in terms of artist development um, with both the Seeds programme and the Advanced programme um, and, and it just seems to have been hugely influential to an awful lot of emerging practitioners and obviously with the Advanced programme with you know more senior practitioners. Um, why is that desire there for you to, to focus on artist development programmes like that? We felt that we'd been pretty lucky. We got some very important breaks in, in our early days. And uh, a few years ago, we looked at the situation in Ireland, which was kind of different uh, to what it is now, but uh, quite harsh um, in that, you know, it's very expensive to live, uh, just to put food on the table yeah. and pay your rent and all of that, which it wasn't when we started out. Um, and it was hard for people to make work with the pressure just to survive. So we thought, well, the least we can do is offer people some sort of a stepping stone out of university drama or youth theatre or whatever it is into the professional world. We still haven't, we, have, we can't provide a, a solution to a career path, yeah. but we can give them a start. And that does two things. It, it, it um, allows young artists to feel that there's somebody who's looking out for them and that there's some kind of encouragement there. It also allows us to connect with the new emerging talents. So it's a two-way street and quite often, I mean, Seeds has been going for 10 years now, some Seeds never really leave, you know, <laughs> and you, you, you feel that these relationships go on and on, um, even though their, their uh, stint in the programme has finished, that you're still very much in touch with them. And uh, I mean, they're prospering. Uh, all around the place, and you know, Kian at Project, Tom at Cork Midsummer. Uh, I mean, it's it's it just goes on and on, and, and uh, now they are no longer the emerging artists. They're well emerged, but they're helping other people as well. And one of our seeds just uh, secured a placement in uh, the ENO for uh, another of our seeds. So uh, one generation of seeds is bringing the next one on, and that's fantastic. Talk to me then about the impetus to having had seeds so successful for so long to look at uh, the advanced program then and, and why you felt that, that was also necessary for people at that stage in their careers. Well, occasionally, because the part of the program for seeds is, is these international trips where they see work in the context of, of uh, the origin of, of, of the, the piece. Um, I would go along uh, and take myself along and, and see what they were seeing. And I realised that I was benefiting from those trips as much as any of them. And I'd um, previously been given a bursary by the Arts Council to go and see work in Sweden. Um, and I, for four days, myself and Lachlan Deegan went and, and just saw work. And it was the biggest shot in the arm creatively for me uh, in a decade. Because you, you forget how narrow your world becomes when you're focused on... Uh, what the next show is yeah. um, and suddenly there was this whole new experience and it's not that you felt I want to work like that I want my work to look like that you just felt inspired by it right you just felt the things are possible and it, it just opens up your own creative uh, juices as, as it were and um, so I thought Education is not only for the young, um, and people need this kind of support right through their career. In fact, the, you know, the, the the more you go on, in in some ways, the more you need it. You need that that sucker of of um, uh, inspiration. 
Um, so that's why we set up Advance and we piloted the programme last year and hopefully we'll be able to do it again and, and keep that rolling in parallel with the, the seats. Okay. And it's and it's interesting you talk about that it's the two way street that it you know that influx of, of new energy coming through and new ideas. Um, have you been able to see how that has uh, shifted and changed, you know, the outlook here and and, and broadened the skill set here? Then I think there's no question but that it has. And um, I mean, we we started seeds as a writers' program. Now other people do writers' programs, um, notably Fishamble, um, but. What makes Seeds different is that it, it uh, opened out to encompass all the skills. So we now have production managers, producers, designers, and this is crucial because it's about the whole idea of ensemble that we are all interdependent and we need these. The and in fact, uh, the the whole idea behind opening out the program was we were looking at the gap in the market yeah. for training. Um, and there was nothing at all for directors, nothing even remotely thought of for producers at that yeah. stage. So that was uh, good for us because we felt we could do something really useful. And you know, young producers like Ian or Lara Hickey have yeah. come through the programme. Matt Smith is on the programme now. And uh, you, you know, th th these people are crucial and suddenly everybody realises how valuable a good producer, a good dedicated producer well, is. Well, absolutely. And what that does for the, the overall infrastructure of, of theatre in Dublin specifically and in Ireland generally is, um, is of huge benefit, presumably. Yeah, and, um, and it's a, again, we're, we're, what we're saying is the job of producer or produ production manager is a creative role. Um, it's 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 not just a technical or managerial position. These are creative people, and that they they have to. And in fact, on advance, Rob Fury, our production manager, was one of the people selected for the advance program, and that has benefited him and us in terms of just opening up a dialogue about what the nature of the job is. Yeah, it's great. I want to talk to you then uh, about the recent scale of the ambition of the work that's been going on, and uh, and what has been seen as, I guess, kind of a brave move of. Of taking these of big shows into the gaiety, how terrifying a prospect is it to go and, and do that, and, and how rewarding is it? Uh, very and very, um, <laughs> uh, it, it is terrifying, and uh, we we had a, a big success with the importance of being earnest, um, but that was sort of doing it the the classic way, you know, bringing in a television star, and we were delighted to have Stockard Channing, Channing with us. Um, but you can't always do that, and we took the experiment a little further this year when we went in with. Plaza Suite and Improbable Frequency. Now the level of business we did was nothing near okay. important to being earnest. So you know you, you have to try these things out but it was still worth it um, because we were able to bring Improbable Frequency into uh, a great proscenium theatre and, and were able to prove that it works superbly in that context. Um, so that was an artistic investment for us and we're delighted we did it. Um, but it is not something you do lightly. However, there are many other ways of, of doing works of scale, and we're 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 looking now at um, other uh, avenues rather than commercial theatre. Okay. Um, but also, we want to uh, keep a strand of the work which is about simplicity and about writing, and that's really our our bedrock, if you like. Um, so you don't have to have big productions, you can have big casts, but let's keep it simple and, and I'm really keen to sort of explore the whole um, emphasis on 
what you might call the liquid elements of production, lighting, sound, that kind of thing, which is portable, which is fluid, and which isn't dependent on on, on a lot of building. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's somewhere I think we're going to take ourselves in, in the next while. Uh, talk to me then about the dance between in inverted commas, commercial producer or making commercial shows and making, you know, artistically strong shows. I mean, is that, do you see a distinction between the two really? Do you, what do you think of people who look at commercial theatre as a dirty word? I, I, it's, well, to me, I don't think the two should be It would be disingenuous to say that there is no difference. Um, there's no difference in approach, hopefully. Um, but you certainly can't do something like Sodom My Love in a commercial sense that's not yes. what it's about yeah but um we have a br- very broad spectrum of work in rough magic you know we've never been uh, pigeonholed and in fact that's made us harder to define in many ways we're not a, a, a very recognizable brand um so what we wanted to do uh, and this the thinking of a few years ago was, was to expand our audience actually so right. we're trying to uh, expand the reach of the company and that means pulling on a lot of diver- diverse threads and, and trying to find a different context for the work each time. Um, and I have nothing against the idea of playing to a packed house in the gaiety. <laughs> that was one of the most enjoyable yes. things I've ever experienced. It's just pure pleasure. Um, and then to, to take more shows out touring and, and to reach other parts of, of this, this country as well as across the water um, is, is another big um, goal for us. Right, okay. I want to talk to you, broadly speaking, about the funding situation in Ireland now, because like you say, when Rough Magic came into being, we were again deep in recession, things were being made for no money, no one was getting paid, it was just about getting out there and getting the work. And there's now you know, a situation where, like you say, Rough Magic is considered as one of the bigger companies with you know possibly a more secure revenue uh, stream of, of revenue in terms of funding but you guys work really hard for that and you have go for very diverse sources of funding as well presumably well most of our funding comes from the arts council yeah. i mean that, that that's what it is um uh, i mean uh, a, a good chunk of that goes into the seeds program right. and the advanced program so you know once you take that off you know we're, we're not so overfunded yes. <laughs> as people imagine um, and we do a lot of work for it, yeah. um, so and we feel that responsibility, and also the responsibility to um, progress the art form as well as just doing shows. Um, it always has to be a step in a new direction for us. Um, as far as the future goes, I mean, it's not looking great. So we do have to find different ways of of making work, and co-production is part of that but we have to increase box office as well and um we, uh, we have to we, we feel we have to give value for money now there are many ways of doing that um and bringing on the next generation of artists is one way but we are a production company first and foremost yes. we make plays that is still the anchor of our program um and we have to look at new ways of uh, bringing those plays outside dublin um, very important to get outside Temple Bar yes, once in a while, wonderful as it is. Um, uh, so, so relationships with other uh, theatre makers around the country, it's, it's 
something we're looking at. Well, it's certainly something we spoke to David Parnell about when we had him on, and uh, and like he said, that you know the talk of that uh, finding new ways, finding innovative approaches, the co-productions, you know, programs like this, the Seeds program, where you have an infrastructure in place here, and to allow that to trickle down through, you know, the next generation coming through or whatever. Uh, certainly, he seems to think is is a vital part of what's going on. Um, well, uh, we also run a strand to our programme which is production support for emerging companies and that's very important because it means this building is very busy all the time, um, uh, which means that it's a complete mess a lot of the time, <laughs> but it's a very creative, comfortable mess and it's, um, it, it, to, to us that's, that's a, a, a great privilege to be able to give help of that kind and it's not just that they are allowed to use the space, we give mentoring advice whenever possible uh, or whenever required. Um, and help work to get to a professional level and to access audiences uh, in a way that it might not have originally. Um, so that's something that we are very delighted to do and we can do as long as we're, uh, we are in a position to keep producing ourselves because the way, in the way that the, all of that work links, links into the, the work that we do ourselves. And for those younger startup companies now, the more emerging ones, in the, the landscape that we're looking at funding-wise at the moment, is it just, like you said, get the head down for the next five years and, and tough it out and, and it's about that kind of emotional stamina and tenacity just to stick with it and trust that if the work is of a certain calibre and of a certain quality that ultimately the, the funding structures might be there for it? I don't think there's any choice. I think yeah. that's what you have to do. Um, there's no easy fix to the funding crisis that we're facing um, and, and the Arts Council has to look at rationalising its own um, portfolio um, and nobody is safe so you know Druid isn't safe we're not safe you know it's just yeah. it's across the board um, and although I think people find it very frustrating that it's hard to get into the, the, the cycle of funding um, there also has to be the sense where a company of a certain track record can keep going and, yeah. and you know what, what are we doing this for if we're not able to sustain a life in the theatre and one of the things we want to do is make sure that people don't disappear is that you know and, and I really want to keep bringing new artists particularly new directors into Rough Magic so that there is something for them to um, uh, form a, a career around um, but that's going to be hard. Uh, there's no two ways about it. Talk to me then about the current production that's out at the Pavilion at the moment, am I right? That's uh, right. And also the, the programme of, of Joyce work that's going on as well, which is really interesting. One of the reasons we were able to do Travesties was that uh, we were supported by Dunleary Ratdown Council and, and what they were very interested in was the programme of work that we were curating around the production, um, which is really intended to... Uh, explore Joyce in a new way and to bring people out to Dunleary where they might have come out to see the Martello Tower and gone back home again uh, that they might stay and, and uh, come to some of these events and come to the show that night which of course has James Joyce as a character in it and wonderfully um, uh, invented by Stockard. Um, so I mean we've got incredible events I mean we kicked off with a, a conversation between Roy Foster and Sebastian Barry which was absolutely fascinating uh, tomorrow we are uh, presenting 
um, the memoirs of Sylvia Beach, um, Joyce's publisher, which will be uh, which have been edited by Maureen White, our, our dramaturg, and will be performed by Gina Moxley. And Gina is a wonderfully entertaining performer, and Sylvia Beach was an amazing woman. So that should be great yeah. fun. And then uh, uh, at six fifteen, Olwen Fuere is presenting a work in development, which she is uh, progressing at the minute. Uh, uh, of Finnegan's Wake and she intends to turn that into a performance piece so she she did a little uh, a trial run of it yesterday and it was quite extraordinary uh, amazing piece um, so I, I would recommend that now to anyone who's in the vicinity and then there's the show itself Travesties um, and then on, on um, Friday we're doing a rehearsed reading of Exiles which is Joyce's one play yeah. and had a great reputation to be honest and uh, people are r rather keen to point out that this great novelist wasn't <laughs> quite as good a dramatist as he hoped he would be he, he was a great admirer of Ibsen so this is an Ibsen-esque piece okay. um, but I think there's, there's a take on it that I'd like to try which might sort of um, un un unlock it a little bit um, so that'll be at, at lunchtime on Friday and then on Saturday Louis Lovett of Theatre Lovett will be performing Joyce's children's uh, 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 story uh, The Cat and the Devil and he will be doing some Oscar Wilde pieces around that so something for everybody there yeah it's um, an amazing programme yeah and then on, on, on Friday evening there's going to be a, a debate on the value of the artist which is what uh, Travesties is, is hugely concerned about and that's a question I think we have to ask from every angle why are we doing what we're doing what the <laughs> hell are we for what use are we yeah. or do we have to be any use um, all the things that that's, uh, Stoppard asked and Wilde certainly asked and uh, yeah I mean it's a, it's a curiosity at the minute given what you were just um, asking me about funding uh, we have to justify ourselves uh, everybody does why shouldn't we um, so yeah that should be interesting so then, as you look out into the future for, for Rough Magic and for you personally, are there ambitions left to achieve? Are there goals you still haven't conquered yet? I mean, where, where do you want the company to go over the next while? Where do you want to be personally over the next while? I want the company to reinforce its connections through the country to become a, a truly national company. Um, and to be a sort of uh, conduit for the talents of a whole new generation of, of artists and also to uh, to serve and to celebrate the existing talents. So I want to look at the full spectrum, 360 degrees of work in Ireland, but chiefly I want to tell the stories that are going to provoke thought and a whole new attitude to who we are, um, where we're going as a nation and if that's not ambitious I don't know what is I mean it, uh, I think you have to be um, there, there's no point in, in reducing the ambition at this point um, when times are hard paint the house you know we've got to get on with it and actually it, the money is vital but it's not the important thing it's not it's it's not the crucial element the crucial element is energy and thought that's great, Lynn. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you. And I look forward to many more exceptional nights at the theatre uh, at Rough Magic shows. Thank you very much.
So there you have it, the exceptional Lynn Parker. What an inspirational lady and what an exceptional theatre maker. Um, just such an inspiration and such a, a privilege to get to sit down with her and, and have that chat with her. Um, I, you know, I, I really feel like I learned an awful lot from it. Just someone who has been at the heart of Irish theatre for so long and, and such amazing work going on over there. I mean, obviously what they put on stage is exceptional. I mean, every Rough Magic show uh, is just work of the highest standard and the highest quality. But what they're doing behind the scenes in terms of that production support and artist development work... Uh, is just so vital, particularly at the moment with the way things are uh, throughout the industry. Um, it's just it's a it's a, fan, a fantastic and a fascinating little hub they have going on over there, and uh, and I just wish them continued success. Uh, they're they're a super company, and, and Lynn is a, a spectacular lady. So look, that brings us to our usual weekly roundup of what is going on around town and around the country. Uh, the Pavilion Theatre obviously has that production of Travesties from Rough Magic, uh, along with all those other events uh, around uh, Bloomsday that are happening out there as well. I would encourage anyone to go over there and. Uh, and check that out even though Peter Daly is in it um, the Viking Theatre has Rose by Martin Sherman the Gate Theatre has that production of Glen Gary Glen Ross ongoing which has been getting such amazing feedback from that um, Bewley's Cafe Theatre has Macklin Method and Madness and that will be followed by Sonia Kelly's Show in a Bag show which is, just seems to be touring forever um, that's the wheelchair on my face and that is playing at Bewley's before it goes over to Edinburgh for the, uh, for the festival over there so that's certainly one that's worth checking out the New Theatre has the Dublin James Joyce Festival ongoing all the details for that are on their website. The Civic Theatre in Tala has Griswold with the magnificent Shane Gately. That would certainly be worth getting out to see if you can. Um, Love Letters with Jerry Hall and David Soule is at the Gaiety. That's produced and uh, directed by the brilliant Michael Scott, who gave me my start in the business. And the Abbey Theatre has Pat Kinnevan's Silent ongoing in the Peacock, if you can get a ticket for it. I think you may have to sell your granny for one. Um, and also upstairs, we have The House by Tom Murphy. Um, you know, look, I've been talking about this for the last few weeks as I've been working on it. I can't... Uh, encourage people enough to come down and see it it is the best of Irish theatre makers um, on the top of their game I have to say it, it's uh, it's a production I'm, I'm really really proud to be a part of um, come on down check it out we'll have the crack I'll even have a drink in the bar with you afterwards uh, as we move around the country we go down to Cork the Opera House has the Country Girls and that'll be followed there by Record by Dylan Tighe and that'll be as part of Cork Midsummer Festival um, which has an amazing range of stuff going on Tom Creed has done a fantastic job down there putting that programme together um, so there's a load of stuff going on in Cork over the next little while you get all the details for that at corkmidsummer.com um, the Country Girls will then play in the Town Hall in Galway and uh, and tonight at the Town Hall in Galway uh, Junk Ensemble have their dance piece Five Ways to Drown which uh, if you're in the Galway region definitely make it your business to get down there um, the gang at Junk Ensemble are just phenomenal phenomenal people um, and you know if you're kind of going oh dance I don't know if that's really my bag go and try this out trust me they won't see you stuck Junk Ensemble is the way to go if you want to go in even just to put your toe in the water and go okay let's see what uh, what you know what the best of uh, of contemporary dance is happening in Ireland go and check them out as we head up north to Belfast the importance of being earnest with Paddy Scully and Ailey Simmons is still going on at the Lyric and that looks like it's a, a spectacular production so look that is us that is episode 32 in the books we will of course be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers this has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast for Angus Og McAnally wait for it I'm Angus Og McAnally. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>